1: The title of the book, Woman, Can I Tell You Why? The Answers You've Been Waiting For. And the author is Harlan Bell. And Harlan joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Harlan. Hello, how are you? Well, you're a brave man. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I
2: guess I would have to be, to, right? To, to talk about something on
1: this. Well, we got to let everyone know right away, Harlan has been married happily for 19 years. Two daughters. Two daughters. Yes. Okay, so you got women all around you, yes, but there absolutely. is a warning here, everyone. There is a warning this book is simply breathtaking. This is not a book for the faint hearted or the feeble minded. If you can handle the raw naked truth, then by all means, this book is for you. so there you go, everyone absolutely. You've left nothing to the imagination, as you put it, right, so. Tell us about yourself, Harlan. I mean, this is bold, this is beautiful, this is uh gonna make some people smile, it's gonna make others go, uh, uh-huh. gonna make others really <laughs> mad.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm uh I'm I'm from Texas and um I've been married, like you said, you know, nineteen years. Uh, you know, definitely happy definitely, uh, you know, you of course that comes with turbulence, so happy a happy marriage is not something that like you get married and and everything is this so from day one. No, you still you still disagree. You still you still have your, your arguments, you still have, you know, your your growing pains and things of that nature. But what makes it happy is that you understand that you stay there. And, you know, myself, I'm a I'm a recording artist also, I'm also a minister. Um and so this, you know, th- I, this book will make me a first time author. I have written children's books that I have not published yet, so this will be my first uh, published work and I'm very excited about it because this is the one that's very dear to my heart because I have a passion for not just helping women. This book is not just for women. It's, it's catered towards women, but it's, it's for real men also that want to know, uh, they want to know, find their why. I see, see a mirror image of, of some of the things that they may have been doing, uh, and, and maybe wrong or just halfway and do it better. And the book is, you know, it's, it's catered towards women 18 and up. Uh, so that they can, you know, see, take a look at, you know, their life through the eyes of a man, and see it from a 360 degree view, unbiased. Yeah, so unbiased.
3: That's about
2: this work. how do you do it, unbiased? Well, it, I mean, you have to have a, a, a certain type of heart. You know, I'm a I'm a God chaser. I you know, I love God, and He has my heart, so I have His, and so that allows me to see not through my eyes, but to see through His eyes. That, that he tells me and shows me so that's that's you know that's where uh, my uh, my knowledge and wisdom comes from him and comes from learning and life experiences it's not my opinion or anything like that so this book
1: is not based on opinion and you say your book is uh set apart by its balance of natural language with a spiritual principle so that's Absolutely. that's where your foundation is and not just your own opinion man's opinion Absolutely, because that's what you know. People when that's where
2: people have a place to argue when it's your opinion, of course, and that would right. be normal. And the things that I talk about in this book are things that that are real life things, and I back those things up with what I say. I back them up with uh, biblical uh, scripture, and so that so that people can So if people want to argue, they're not arguing with me, but they're arguing with God Himself.
1: And you're not afraid to go. I mean, you're going everywhere. I mean, this is basically naked and raw. Absolutely, we're talking about uh, everything. You know, uh, I mean,
2: you're you going from you know sex in the bedroom to to you know God being in love with the stripper. I mean, it's you know this. These are things that people you know may say to themselves, but may not say out loud to other people. You know, I mean, other you know people that want to talk about relationships. I'm not really. Um, read on other people's books. So, and, I, and being a writer, you don't want other people's information in your head when you're writing. So, you know, and I've been writing this book. This book actually, you know, came to me in the year 2000. So, this is like 13 years later that this book is coming out. So, uh, I had a lot of time to experience a lot of things and to see a lot and to gain a lot of uh, knowledge and wisdom, you know, from that time that the book was conceived in my mind uh, to now actually releasing it.
1: It covers nearly 200 questions or topics. It's over 400 pages long, and you had to cut it down. You've got a whole lot more. Absolutely. I was,
2: you know, when I was writing the book, I was like, okay, um, you know, I I don't want to be one of those type of people where, you know, uh, my wife says I'm long-winded, so I don't want to be long-winded. I want to just tell the truth, and I have a lot to say. So I guess I would say I have to get the gap. But when I speak, I don't just talk to be just to be talking. When I open my mouth, I'm saying something that you need to hear. And so this book, uh, it may have a second edition to it. So, you know, it's 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 very possible if you're still alive. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think that once people start reading it, I think they're going to be very glad that I that I actually said what I have to say in this right book because it, you to, know
1: I, I you have to pardon me everyone you know yeah, I'm no, kind of dead. I'm kind of making fun of Harlan but this is a serious book but it's also you know I I mean you're going to make you smile I'm sure and even laugh sometimes
2: absolutely and it's going to um, I mean especially you know I mean I think people are going to be very intrigued to to read about things. God's in love with a stripper. I mean, it takes a very Okay, okay, since you, up, like since you brought that up,
1: since you brought that up, why God's in love with a stripper, tell us about this uh, topic in your book.
2: Well, uh, when you when you look at it, first off, of course, people's mind, you know where people's mind goes. They, they go to the naked lady, right? Right. And they don't even think about the naked man. It's, it's always when something's talking about anything of, of, of that nature. People always blame it on a woman. And so, you know, God's in love with a stripper is basically it's talking about how you know, how, you know, people in many places, you know, growing up, you know, and becoming a young man, you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, to go to places like strip clubs or see women out, you know, and, and be, uh, almost naked just, you know, in a regular environment, maybe at a club or just at a restaurant or wherever they are, you know, and, and sometimes people are in their lives, they, they are, they think that they may be a bad person or they may be so far off. But, you know, in this particular chapter where I'm talking about God's in love with a stripper, it's actually talking about um, even though you are where you are, it's not actually just picking on, it's not like bashing or beating up on the woman. I use the story in Scripture where David is, is dancing in the street because the glory of God has come back and to, to his house, and he's dancing and celebrating, and his wife was um, upset with him for dancing because he was the king. And so, in other words, God said, God talked about how much he loved David. And David was looked at in this particular uh, scripture as stripping down to his clothes. He wasn't taking them off. They were falling off because he was so happily dancing. And so I use that to parallel the fact that God's in love. He doesn't matter, like a woman, where you are, if you're a stripper, if you're a prostitute, wherever you are, whoever you've been taking your clothes off for, don't think that, you know, that God doesn't love you. You know, because he is in love with the stripper, but the kind of stripper that he's in love with, he loves you, he't he doesn't want you to to take your clothes off for a living, but he loves you, the kind of stripper that he's in love with is the one that will take themselves off in otherwise their own way of doing things, especially when it's not right and it's not working for them, that will take that 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 uh, mindset off and then give their mind to him. so you're stripping down your own
1: self, oh mm-hmm. right. uh, God,
2: here I am. As naked as I can be, I'm yours.
1: Well, let's uh, switch gears to another topic. Highlight this. Uh, we'll highlight a few topics. Here's one: Why good sex won't keep him. <laughs> why good sex won't keep him.
2: Absolutely, and I don't know which. Um, it's um, on one of those. Uh, it has a very bold statement on it. I don't know if that's the one that you're looking at, but you know, it's a it's a definite. Uh, Myths and misconceptions from women that uh, women think that they can give men good sex and cause him to be with them or want to uh, be make them their woman or maybe even possibly marry them. You know, so you have this 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 thing in the world where we have in society where people uh, have been you know um, conditioned by TV songs that on the radio, movies and things of that nature, commercials. That if you see a person and you like them, you know, you should just be able to just, you know, do what you want with them and then and it should lead to a relationship. Well, that's not working for women and it's not going to happen. And when women have this thing in their head where they think if they give a man really good sex, I mean, they, they do, you know, whatever they do that they think is, makes them a good sexual partner, they think that that's going to make the man want to stay with them. And just, you know, be with them only and maybe, you know, marry them. And that's not the case. Men don't operate like that. You cannot, you know, well, like a man with sex. You cannot, uh, grab him or, or, or pull him into your web with sex. That, that doesn't work for a man. Our mind doesn't work that way. We, for us, sex is a release and it's passionate if we love you and, and, and that's what we want it to be. But in just a normal setting, even in marriage, for a man, it's more focused on a release. And, it's, and for a woman, it's emotional. And so she thinks that because she gives us sex, that that's going to cause us to have some type of heart. Right. Beat that's going to say, oh, I want to marry this woman. And it's just simply not
1: the case. Well, get ready for the fireworks on this one. Uh, why you love PMS. All you women out there, <laughs> you love PMS. That's what Harlan's <laughs> going to tell us. Absolutely. Go ahead, Harlan. And look first, out. Look, You may have, you better have ducked, though. There may be some I just, things I flying did. at you. <laughs> I just did.
2: This one, this one here, it, 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 on first sight, everyone is going to think I'm talking about a woman's menstrual cycle. Right. And, if, and, of course, it has nothing to do with that. And I love the fact that, you know, when, when, when God gave me this book, he gave me titles and things that would just really cause people to, 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 to break out in the conversation. What is he talking about? You know, and so so that that way they can dig into it and find out because when they dig into it, it's like a diamond. There's so much beauty in it. There's so much life in the words that I'm speaking. And this particular topic, uh, PMS, is talking about power, money, and sex. And women are attracted to men who are powerful, who have money, and because of that, they'll give them the sex to get that. And again, they think this is a remedy to the the happiness in their life because they they dream of this, this powerful man sweeping them off their feet who has wealth and money so that they can enjoy life and, and just live lavish and just be spoiled, which all of that they deserve. It's just the fact that when I talk about it in this book, I'm trying to explain to them that if that's your motive and that's the only reason that you connect with that man, but you never you didn't check his character to see if he is, is actually a man that actually knows how to love or does he have a heart at all because if he's an arrogant man, then he's evil, and he's going to mistreat you. You're just going to be a side toy. When he's done uh, catching right. you, then you're just a side piece. So I explain to women why these tactics that they're using to, to get men, it's not working. We, we, it doesn't work that way in our mind, and it's not right, but you have to know what you're getting into, and you can do that by, by talking about the
1: right things. So that's our, what I explained throughout this whole book. So a real man knows how to love. Absolutely. Not just get in bed. I mean, he really knows how to love. Absolutely. Right. Well, let's uh, cover a couple more. We don't have a whole lot of time left. Uh, let's see. Why your emotions are your kryptonite?
0: Ooh. Wow.
1: <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Wow. I, I, I am so <laughs> looking forward
2: to, I'm, I'm, let me tell you something. I do, I do, um, I do my my trademark is I do a thing called a Harlan's locker room session where people get to t- ask me these questions live and I talk to them, and it's much more raw live than it is actually in this room. Right. To tell you the truth, yeah. I, I get a little bit more raw because I just believe in telling it straightforward like it is. But you know, it, a woman can have a master's degree, PhD. She can have a she can run a corporate. Uh, office. She could run, you know, five or six businesses or whatever. She could be very successful, and everything is because women are facilitators and they're very smart, um, actually smarter than men. Now, what the problem is is that a woman, when she's upset, when if something happens to her emotionally, it doesn't matter how excellent she is. She could be one hundred percent in every other area of her life, but if she gets emotional she will trash all of that she could trash her whole life in a moment because of her emotions because she does she has not learned yet to override her emotions and do what is right because mm. it's the right time to do it yeah. but she will make she will make a bad decision that could sabotage her whole life based off of the emotion that she's going through if she gets hurt at that moment she will, in, in, in other words, if she were running a country or, or something like that, she might push the button to hit the nuclear <laughs> weapon based off of her emotion. That's how dangerous a woman's emotion is. So that's her weakness of all the things in her life. That's her weakness that kills all the beautiful things. But also her strength. Her
1: but also her strength if she knows how to control her emotions.
2: Well, her strength is actually knowing how to give those emotions in the right place. That's very well put. She has to know how to control
1: them. Yeah, exactly. Because she is a powerful person because of her emotions. Uh, It's a matter of how she, I guess, uh, uh, communicates those.
2: Well, those emotions have to be, she has to
1: understand who
2: she is. And she has to understand the value of who she is so that she understands that what's happening at that moment. It's just a temporary thing and that she doesn't uh, kill her life, you know, destroy her life, her, her destiny, her, her path because of one moment of hurt. So, in other words, if a man hurts her, she, will, she may, she may uh, think about or even commit suicide, kill him, stop eating, you know, uh, trash her job, her career, all because of what's going on with that man that right. hurt her yeah. that she was hoping was her night in shining armor.
1: Well, everyone, we've just talked about a few of 200 questions or topics that are in Harlan's book, Why a Woman? Can I Tell You Why? That is the title of the book. Boy, uh, we, you know, dating process. Uh, uh, should a woman make the first move when she's interested in a man? Why do women attend, tend to attract the same kind of men? Why is a why is desire so dangerous to a woman's thinking pro- progress uh, process? We could go on and on, but we don't have any more time, Harlan. I'm so sorry. Uh, my goodness, uh, there's there's a lot here. This is this is fascinating. And, and again, you're a brave man, <laughs> and I hope I hope uh, we don't see anything in the newspaper, any headlines uh, that Harlan is no longer with us. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I, I, think that, I think that people are going to be very glad that Harlan <laughs> is alive and telling the truth. Yeah. There you go. The naked truth. The naked truth. The naked, the naked truth. truth. Okay, Harlan. Well, tell us how to get your book, Woman. Can I tell you why? Absolutely. Uh, you can go to, you spell my name,
2: H-A-R-L-O-N. You can go to www.harlan.harlanwhy.com. And you can just uh, and it'll go straight to the book. You can order it right offline, or if you're at your, you can order it from any bookstore through xlibris.com. dot com. That's X L I B R I S, Xlibris Publishing, and you can order that from any bookstore in the world, or you can order it anywhere online in the world at Harlan dot com or
1: xlibris.com. dot com. Well, thank you so much. Three. Thank you, Harlan, for being with us on Xlibris on Air. Thank you for having me, and it's been a
0: pleasure. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Dr. Dr. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management, The holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness. How emotions are directly related to physical illness and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through Today's Note to Self on her webpage naturespiritspeak.com If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spiritspeak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The
1: title of the book, this book of poetry, Look Beyond, and the poet is David Meyerhoff and... David joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, David. Hello. Uh, Great to have you with us, and we're looking forward to hearing your poetry. We'll do that uh, later. Uh, Right at the moment, I'd just like to read a few things for everyone, just to get an idea of about what david's poetry is all about in his book look beyond you say this how can you cope with an emotional upheaval in your life my book look beyond explores that question and offers ways of helping you it's a journey you call of self-discovery and empowerment poems are based on real life situations People, Events, and Thoughts Grounded in Down-to-Earth Reality. This is a life-changing kind of book of poetry, wouldn't you say? Yes.
3: Well, it's based on my life primarily in terms of uh, what's happened to me. Um, I'm presenting my thoughts, my ideas, and my feelings to the world.
1: Well, first of all, David, uh, tell us about yourself, your background, and why you decided to do this.
3: Well, um, I was a middle school teacher uh, for 33 years in the Los Angeles Unified School District. I taught math and science to sixth grade honors students. Um, But it's something in my family in terms of writing poetry. My grandfather wrote poetry, my father wrote poetry, I write poetry, my son writes poetry. So it's something that we have and I was trying to find a vehicle for presenting my thoughts um, and my feelings to the rest of the world. Um, I retired about one and a half years ago and so this was a project that I really felt um, was needed for me and what I wanted to do with my life.
1: Well, it sounds like you're literally on a mission because you say, I would like to change the world through my poetry. Now, that's quite a mission. Yes. Um, I know,
3: it, of course, it sounds idealistic, but I think I can do it because um, everyone who's read my book likes it so far. And I've had um, several of people who have read my book, they keep it next to their bedstand, or they keep it on the coffee table. And they go back to it more than once when they have a difficult situation. They go back and read my poetry um, to help them. And I could prove that to you right now if you'd like to hear it. Please, please. Uh, okay, so my poem that I'd first like to read um, is called Step Up to the Plate. No one knows when or where you will be called upon to step up to the plate. It may be soon, it may be late, but you won't have a choice. It will be you, your own voice. Decisions will have to be made, way out in the sun or close by in the shade. The groundwork must be laid out. Give it your all without a doubt. You know they are counting on you, all that you say, all that you do. So do not sit back and wait. It's not your choice. It's your fate. It's your world you must create. So don't hesitate. Step up to the plate.
1: I like it. Yeah, that's that's what you call your signature poem. Yes. It kind of sets the tone for the whole book, look beyond. Yes. Well, we all know that life is filled with adversity. There's no one, I believe, escapes that at all. And you just want to help everyone realize through your poetry that they can overcome the adversity because so many people often feel immobilized.
3: Yes. I mean, um, my father had Parkinson's... um, this was uh, about eight years ago, and six years ago he passed away. In the last two months of his life, I wrote a poem every night. I couldn't sleep. I'd wake up around 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'd write a poem, and then I could go back to sleep. So 27 of those poems are in my book. Um, if you'd like to hear one of those. Please. Uh, this is called Poem to My Father. Is the rain washing away the tears, or is it creating more tears? Are we breaking our hearts, or are we having our hearts broken? Down the gullies, through the forest, washing, washing, taking away our sorrows. Do we know what we see, hear, taste, smell, or touch? Can we be part of this beautiful world, or must we carry this heaviness throughout our lives? Are we facing reality in front of our faces, or are we running from what will catch us in the end? Life is as precious as every single drop of rain, every grain of sand, every star in the sky, every leaf on the tree, and every soul on this planet.
1: Yes, yes. So when we look for the future, uh, when we just kind of contemplate the challenges that everyone seems to be facing in this very complex, confusing world, uh, you see hope. Yes. Uh, You see hope, but it won't come uh, without a struggle. I mean, in order for us to improve as one of your themes, uh, there's probably going to be a struggle.
3: Yes. In fact, I have a poem called The Future.
1: Oh, okay. Very good.
3: What about the future? What does it pretend? A new beginning or an inglorious end? A place of rebirth and flowery grace or a shadowy inferno, a damning place? Are we not imbued with destiny unveiled? Are we not letting our spirits be derailed? We cannot flounder or fall on the ground. There's so much to learn, so much to be found. Our hearts must go ahead. Our desire for knowledge must be fed. There is no time to stop or delay. We are bursting with pride. We will not stray. We grasp with all our might that uplifting passion, that brilliant light, we climb the tallest tower, the highest peak, our steps of life, our future is what we seek.
1: Mm, very well said. So in order to bring this change about, we need to reach deep. And that yes. takes courage, doesn't it? As you point out, that takes courage. You know, you pointed out with your poetry.
3: Yes. I mean, I, I believe that there's a spark inside every person on this planet that needs to come out and I will do whatever I can to bring that out and I feel I can do that through my poetry, I can do that through presenting my life story also to people and so once that comes out then you can deal with it and you can create it, you can uh, develop it and I've always encouraged everybody I've met that when you have problems and situations that you write it down, that you draw that you get it out because if you keep it inside, it will hurt you, and it will go not have a good end to it.
1: And, and you really believe, sounds like with all your heart, that one person, like yourself, one person can really make a difference.
3: Yes, um, my father was rescued um, from Germany, um, and my grandparents were rescued by a man named Varian Fry. Varian Frey rescued 2,000 Jewish people from Germany, including Mark Chagall. So, my father um, created a foundation to educate people about Varian Frey, and one thing that he said is that one person can make a difference in the world. And he was talking about Varian Frey because this one person sacrificed, practically sacrificed his life to save 2,000 people, but... I would like to be that person also in maybe a slightly different
1: way. Well, you couldn't ask for a greater noble cause than doing what he did. Obviously, uh he will be blessed and sure is blessed for doing that. Your 60 collection of 60 thought-provoking poems, this journey of self-discovery and empowerment. Why don't you share another one with us?
3: Okay. Um Well, this will be a little bit lighter, um, and it's called Hugs. Why is it that hugs are so great? Why are they worth their weight in gold? Well, you know they never grow old. Is it the tender warmth that hugs provide, or the meaning, the feeling inside? Yes, all of the above and more. They open the human door. Relatives, friends, comrades, all, open your arms, break down that wall, reach out and hold your fellow being. Open your eyes beyond what you are seeing, a simple yet beautiful act, a journey of one's soul, a basic fact. When you connect and surround, you join a better world so profound.
1: Well, hugs always seem to make all the pain go away. <laughs> yes, the hugs are great. Uh, seems like when I get hugs from my grandkids, what more do you need? <laughs> you know? yes. uh, they're magic. Well, um, it's going to take courage, as you point out. Uh, we've just got to challenge ourselves. That's what you write to improve the quality of life in our world. So it's it's really uh, like you say we all make it. We can all make a difference, but it really comes down to that one person challenging themselves. That's a that's a a, a big challenge in itself, just to think about that.
3: Yes, I mean. Um... I My mother fell about a year ago and broke her hip, um, and she's going to be 92 in one month. Uh, she's under 24-hour care, so the day that she fell, I wrote the first poem in my book, and it's called, When Your World is Turned Upside Down, How Do You Make It Right Side Up? When your world is turned upside down, what do you do? Get out of town? No, you take steps forward, keeping your head up and toward. Gather your forces all, stand up, stand tall. Your heart must move along, prepare to right the wrong. No one said it was easy or fair, but you can fight it if you dare. Be ready to meet every turn, from each action you will learn. So go forward still, push ahead, strengthen your will. The world does await, now go, decide your own fate.
1: Very good. Now, this is the first book of poetry. Uh, you have another one in the making. Well,
3: I hope uh, after a while that um, I'd like to write uh, uh, poems about love. And I have, for example, a poem, um, How Do You Fall in Love? And I'll tell you how. I have a, can I talk about my Facebook? and? Sure,
1: please. Tell us.
3: Yeah, so I have a Facebook, and I'd love to hear from people. Um, It's after, you know, www.facebook.com slash David Meyerhoff, and it's M-E-Y-E-R-H-O-F, and then Look Beyond. It's all together, David Meyerhoff, Look Beyond. And I'm on Twitter. The handle is underscore Look Beyond. My webpage is uh, lookbeyondpoetry.com
1: very good david very good and also of course uh the publisher ex libris you can get it from there of course you can go to any online bookstore or walk into any bookstore and order look beyond uh... why don't you close with one last poem
3: okay um... well the other thing that i want to say is i believe in love Um i'm talking about universal love of everybody the question, this is called For Love. The question, the question today is, what will you do for love? Will you sit back and let it just happen? Will you go out and make that effort, that effect, that reason, that show of true belief? I will stake everything I know, believe, think, feel, understand, carry, perceive, grasp, and embrace for love. The ultimate on this earth. This paradise for humanity, which against all odds must be based on love. As the song goes, love don't come easy. No, it certainly don't come easy, but we stake our lives on it. What are you willing to do for love? We must endure. We must sacrifice. Give our spirit to the ultimate line drawn on the ground. We will give all so that the generations will live, breathe, and love.
1: We've been listening to David Meyerhoff. He is the poet and his book, Look Beyond, 60 Thought-Provoking Poems. David, you've already told us to how to get your book. Uh, any closing thoughts?
3: Well, um, like I said, I'd like my poems to change the world, and I believe that can be done one person at a time. And I believe that any, everybody who has my book will enjoy it, and it will help you. I, guarantee, I can guarantee that.
1: Thank you so much, David, for being with us on Ex Libris On Air.
0: Thank you very much. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Show me the money! Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world, and she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Kirk Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswald is the creator of the Rockstar System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from the competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Bootcamps, Camps, check out the website, Craig D-U-S-W-A-L-T.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Doswald, Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central, on TuggingHat.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The
1: title of the book, Luck of the Irish, Poignant Saga of an Irish Family Arriving in England just at the outbreak of World War II. And the author is Ronnie Carroll. And Ronnie joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Ronnie.
4: Hello, Steve. Nice to speak
1: to you. Well, great to have you with us. Uh, this, in essence, is your autobiography, and also a story of your whole family at a very, very critical stage of the war, and you landing, as you say, arriving in England just as the war starts, and just tears the family apart. Let me let me uh, read a couple things. Again, the, the how you describe this, just to kind of set the stage for everyone. Okay. My, my story, as you write, describes the poor conditions existing in the west of Ireland in 1939. The difficulties of migrating to London, England, and the shock of realizing that we had spent our remaining and limited resources only to reach the insecurity of England just entering World War II, the government immediately ordered all children to be evacuated out of London. And, of course, that meant being torn from your mom and dad and given to these foster parents, you didn't know who they were at all.
4: Not at all. They were strangers to us and not very welcoming either. They just wanted the money. The government was paying quite an attractive sum of money to persuade people to take the evacuees in as lodgers, they had no. Other, there was no other measurement about the ability or knowledge of uh, of um, foster parents how to foster children, and so we were left in the hands of complete amateurs.
1: And and just, it just showed. And your mother must have been destroyed by all of oh, this.
4: It was terrible. As we were in the bus. Waiting to go off to the station, uh, it, 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 was, it was about twenty minutes before the bus moved off, and throughout that time she was sobbing outside. Heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Right. Her eyes were red and swollen, and tears running down her face.
1: Here she thought, and think I'm sure could do about it. I'm sure the whole family thought. Well, you've you've gotten out of Ireland. There must have been some obviously problems there, because you come to England and then you get right into a. A worst-case situation.
4: Yes, absolutely, Steve. Absolutely.
1: So you you practically, what do you say? You've run out of money too.
4: Oh yes, completely broke. We were virtually, uh, you know,
1: bankrupt—not
4: bankrupt as bankrupt such, but we had—we were penniless. Right. And but but for the fact that uh, there was a, a Roman Catholic church in 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 that part of London where we were uh, had rented a, a house who immediately telephoned. It was in the period of Lent when everyone was trying to be more helpful, religiously speaking, and uh, for, for, they would lend us chairs, tables, you know, dishes to cook in and eat. with. We had nothing of that sort, and, and the, the church rallied round, and people came to our door and gave us you know, chairs and mats and everything, and little bits they had to spare, which was wonderful, most inspirational. So that that's uh, how it got us a bit started,
1: right? But then uh, then your father your father made a huge announcement to everyone. Oh
4: gosh, yes, I'll never forget that. He, he he came back into the house. He'd been drinking with men, other men. He was looking like he was a hero, and he said, "I've just signed up. You know, documents, and I'm joining the army. You know, expecting us to cheer." My mother was so shocked uh, to hear this. You know, the, the, uh, our, our breadwinner—they uh, uh, didn't have uh, immigrants coming into uh, England. Uh, did not have to follow the uh, 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 the, in the uh, join the uh, army. You know, right. uh, the, uh, the immigrants weren't obliged to do that. And so, uh, the very fact that he did it. Because he was drinking with his mates, uh, and they thought it was a good idea to be showed that he was brave and strong. But in fact, I mean, it was terrible. They were all crying.
1: So the whole family's yeah. being uh, torn apart, and the father's going off to war. Uh, yeah. Was he, I mean, it, well, it didn't matter at that moment in time because you go to a very, very for the children, a kind of a dangerous situation.
4: Yeah. Yes. Initially, we were uh, channelled off to the first. The first place we went to uh, out of London was Norwich, a nice, good, old-fashioned city. Uh, and there we were in the hands of a, a very elderly couple, and um, all four of us in, in one little house. Anyway, it, uh, it wasn't a. a, a, a a few days later, the inspectors for the vacuum system came to the house and they were shut in the room with my parents, talking, with my mother, talking away. And eventually they asked my elder sister to go into the room and join them. And then uh, half an hour later, we were told to pack up our things. We were going to be returned to London. And I never, never knew the reason for this until my elder sister was dying. And I asked her, what? why did we leave that house so soon? And she said, Ronnie, we weren't going to tell you. She said, the man of the house was a pedophile, and he was putting his hand under my skirt all the time. You know, that's, it's just, that, that's what caused it. And I ran to the na- a neighbor, and the neighbor called the police.
3: Mm. And
4: that's how we were removed, as we went back to London. And the next thing they did, then they sent us, Right the way down to Camborne and Cornwall, where a nice couple, really nice couple, looked after us for several months. You know, it was like going on holiday because they took us down to the seaside and we played games and had picnics. And and a, a couple of weeks later, the man of the house received documents uh, or, 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 uh, ordering him to report to the locals, local local uh, office for. For the army and the woman who wasn't uh, felt able to look after four children on her own in that house and had with great apologies and tears she would t- put us on a train back to london and then and as it happened one of the worst wars uh, raids of the war occurred when we were back at our original house and that is we had Uh, um, German bombers were bombing the area we were living in because it was a big gasworks area and the bombs were falling down and we could hear the sirens going, the explosions, and then we heard a a plane crashing in our road close to us. And uh, when we woke up, we we went into a thing called an Anderson shelter. You uh, may people may have heard of that. At the start of the war, it was was sort of made with corrugated iron and dug into the garden of the house. And people used to go in there to protect themselves during bombing raids. Uh, We were in there all night, and when we eventually arrived, came out in the morning. All the windows of our house were broken, and big bits of shrapnel broken from of German airplanes were lying around the garden. And when we tried to pick one up, we got burnt. It was so hot. And we found a neighbor of ours got killed. She had a cat who was meowing in the garden piteously. And she went out to bring the cat in, and she was hit by a piece of shrapnel and got killed. So that was a, a friendly neighbor got got lost, and other houses in the road had been completely shattered. So that was our, our first direct experience
1: of the war right and And because of this being torn from your mom and your dad is gone, it really had its beyond comprehension really of the effect psychological oh. effect, especially on your brother and sister, right?
4: Yes, the, the older they were, the more they realized um, the consequences of what was happening. The, myself and my younger sister were still too young. We thought it was a big exciting adventure. Mm-hmm. We soon found out it wasn't.
0: Because so, you, uh, you eventually, we were
4: then uh, um, the authorities um, uh, placed us in, in a new place. They sent us uh, out to Essex, uh, a place, a little tiny village called Stock in Essex, and um, we were lined up in the schoolroom, and. Um, uh, people came and looked and looked at us. And, and <laughs> so my brother, who was a very attractive, blonde, blue, blue-eyed boy, uh, someone says, oh, I'll have him. And the uh, woman in charge said, I'm afraid you'd have to have his younger brother one as well. What him, she said in, in this real London Cockney voice. Uh, and she said, yes, but you get double the money and you get their ration books. Oh, she said, oh, they, that, that's different then. Okay, yeah. I'll take the little bugger as well.
1: So your brother uh, was six and a half and you were three?
4: Yeah, I was four by four. this stage. Four, okay. I'm a bit older by that. And uh, the girls, um, the uh, the authorities, knowing the impossibility of placing four children from one family, mm-hmm. So put, sent the two girls to a convent. It was, a, it was a, a, a very strict order of nuns who didn't speak much and weren't exactly in, in for entertainment. And so the poor girls remained in that convent for five years and had a, it was a very barren time for them. The, the nuns obviously didn't beat them as such, but they were punished in other kinds of ways because nuns who'd given up their good life Expected children to learn to pray and be quiet and and meditate, but that that doesn't come naturally to small children, and uh, they they had they had probably a worse psychological time than my brother and I.
1: But you had more yeah. physical abuse with with no where you physical stayed. abuse, but just psychological Psych- abuse. Psychological, okay. Yes, hmm. it was dreadful for
4: the poor things. My elder sister never got over it and she blamed, she thought it was uh, my mother and father were just trying to get rid of them. She thought that's why we were stuck in that convent. And she, the, there was uh, antagonism between my elder sister and my parents. And my father had gone, gone by this time. Uh, but she, she blamed my mother for so, uh, putting her in there. But of course my mother didn't have a choice in it, in the matter. And there was awful uh, tension between them. And eventually, uh, she managed to uh, she uh, got training as a nurse and became a nurse at a local hospital. And she lived in the nurse's home rather than the, in the family house. So
1: and your and your, there, Steve. and your two sisters and your older brother really had they suffered tremendous psychological damage.
4: Oh yes, they were. Well, then you know, as as events developed as they grew up and tried to add uh, normal work and jobs and their, uh, their psychological state was not very good and they were not holding jobs, not getting on well with other people. So that, that was the sort of side effect that you had from, from being locked up in a convent, I think. Uh, um, as, as we got older, uh, my brother joined the Royal Marines and uh, uh, and I who had been with him all the time. I wanted to do the same thing, but I wasn't as fit as him, so I didn't get accepted by the Royal Marines. Instead, I was able to join the Royal, uh, the the, um, the Royal Signals, the Signal Regiment, and I I did that for three years, and I I, I got on well. It was interesting work well, because we were dealing with, uh, um, you know, top secrets and things like that. It was quite exciting for me.
1: And out of your the four children, you seem to fare the best, mainly because you were so young when you went through all of it, you think? Well, I don't know. The one
4: who suffered worst was the very youngest, the, the little girl, who was three oh, when it okay. all started. So she she led the most awful life, if you ever attempt to read a chapter on her life. She got made pregnant very early on by an American GI, Sorry, not you, Steve. Sure, but,
1: uh, I understand.
4: She, she made pregnant, and uh, uh, the, the church, and uh, the uh, church, the American uh, priest, uh, had to find, make inquiries to find out who this young man was, and they eventually traced him and brought him to a meeting with us and uh, a, a, a distinguished prelate in the Westminster Cathedral, and between the this, the poor man was overwhelmed by all this, the power and influence. And he, he agreed to marry uh, my younger sister. He did so, uh, and uh, two months later, the, he was recalled to the States uh, by by the authorities there, bringing his new wife with him, and who, who just was about to deliver their baby. And after the baby was delivered, he immediately divorced her. And she was suddenly there in America. With, with no no husband, for no father for the child, and no money, and she uh, then I mean she went on a terrible, terrible course. For, uh bouncing from one man to another, uh, she was divorced, but married and divorced seven times. Mm. Uh, that was, and she could she was always looking to be happy. She said, "People don't want me to be happy." Mm-hmm. And I, I was as young as I was. I kept trying to tell her that you. Don't get happiness by looking for happiness. It's, you only get happy when you're actually doing good things and helping other people. She didn't understand that. Uh, well, understandably, because uh, she, she just felt miserable, and she'd never had a successful relationship with anybody. And she died very early on. And was, she'd lost her lung through smoking. She'd be, she was an alcoholic. She had um, you She know, had um, diabetes. And she, that mixture of things killed her uh, in her 50s. Hmm. And I was the only one capable of my family able of going over to America to a, f- a funeral.
1: Well, and so, thus that's the it. title, Luck of the Irish, very uh, ironic, <laughs> obviously, with your title. And the Luck of the Irish, I guess, because most people don't understand, they always think that that's such a positive phrase. Yes, they do,
4: don't they, yes. It's, uh, unless people had, for any reason I can't understand, had read bits of Irish history, and found out well, the, the Irish were although a rebellious lot we Irish were, and the, the uh, we all our, all the lands and the good property and the good fields you know for agriculture were, were taken by uh, you know distinguished uh, people. In England, the uh, lords and ladies were given chunks of Irish land. And so p- always this resentment of the, uh, the Irish who remained with being, having lost all their opportunity of making the success of the country never did. You know, and so they, they, they just constantly, you know, this is eventually how the IRA uh, um, uh, got started in later years, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, to try and fight for... It makes enough noise and trouble for them to go go away and leave Irish, Ireland to the Irish. They did it, it, ultimately; it did succeed, but uh, not before. You know, everyone in right. England thought the Irish were a lot of, of of gangsters, you know, blowing faces up and things like that. But uh, it was the Irish who were who were being held under the heel of the. There were something like several thousand. British soldiers stationed in Ireland continuously. A little waste of army soldiers.
1: Right. Well, Ronnie, we've about run out of time. Uh, the author, his name is Ronnie Carroll, and the, of course the title, Luck of the Irish, Poignant Saga of an Irish Family Arriving in England just at the outbreak of World War II. Ronnie, tell us how to get your book.
4: Well, uh, it's available through most... Uh, online booking shop. Pay, pay, like, I don't know. You have Amazon in America, sure. but there's a, there's a, online uh, all, uh, book sellers all mm-hmm. around the world, and uh, just by going to your local online uh, site, like, like in England, it is Amazon, and just get put the name of the book, and then you can buy it direct, and it will be sent by the in a, a immediate post and arrive as a little parcel.
1: There you go. Meantime,
4: of course, we are. Opening up uh, small private bookshops, but it's the big ones like Amazon who, that I see online right. uh, booksellers that are the ones that you should go to.
1: Well, thank it's you very much. Thank you very, very much, sure, Ronnie, please. for being with us and sharing your story, which obviously uh, really uh, takes us right there, right into the midst of all the trauma and the tragedy of these events back during world war ii and of course the the uh, effect that that had on you and your brothers and sisters or your brother and sisters and of course the effect on your mom and your dad uh thank you so much for being with us on ex libris on air thank you for having me
4: let wish everybody else good better luck than we had
0: join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors, right here on Ex Libris On Air.